We're going to be in Philippians 2 tonight. Welcome again, that's on page 817 in your pew Bible, but welcome again to Calvary. And I'm Kelly, and I work for a ministry called RUF that I think many of y'all have heard of, but it's Reformed University Fellowship, and it is a campus ministry at Florida State. And uh, we're looking at the book of Philippians this semester, but we finish Philippians on November the... Oh, let me see. Eighth, and on the November on November fifteenth, John is coming to speak at RUF and bring in uh, Dan Burns. So I'm pumped to have him. Thank you for you know scratching. I'm, I'm scratching your back tonight. You can come scratch mine at RUF. Uh, but excited to have him on a Tuesday. And Dan used to do RUF uh, back in the day at FSU. So I'm excited to introduce him to our students. But uh, love what I do. Love spending time with college students. I was just sharing earlier, it's been a great uh, semester, but I'm definitely tired and uh, excited to enter the holiday season. We just did a Halloween party on Friday and um, excited to do Friendsgiving where they all bring their you know food and we do a potluck and a Christmas party and all that. Uh, so if you want to hear any more about RUF, uh, I can tell you, but thank you all, Calvary, for supporting the ministry and, and being long a long-time supporter of the ministry. God is at work at Florida State. So, as you turn to Philippians chapter 2, which is the book that we're in this semester, uh, doing a series called Encourage, because this is a letter of encouragement that Paul's writing to the Philippian church uh, from likely you know, his imprisonment in Rome. Uh, as you turn there, uh, we're going to be looking tonight at you know, the topics of, of faith and obedience. I think the sermon title is The Obedience of Faith. And uh, it made me think about how you know faith in Jesus it leads to obedience, but life is such a roller coaster, right? Of ups and downs, of wins and losses. Uh, it's easy for Christians to start wondering sometimes: Is this faith thing working? Like, do you ever look back on your life and you're like, "Am I growing? Is this still working?" Like, I kind of feel like I'm regressing. I, I'm sure there were times if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress where Christian thought like. Is this the road I'm supposed to be on? You know, should I take that shortcut? Should I turn around and go back? A lot of people on that road tried to convince him to go back uh, to whatever city he was from and not continue on to the celestial city. But Paul's basically in this uh, portion of the letter interrupting our you know regular programming to give us a commercial for faith and obedience. Uh, it makes me think sometimes you're watching TV and you're wondering, does that product really work? You know? It's like for a few payments of, you know, it always ends in nines, right? They're like just under that amount. And you think about that, that product, and then you go to Bed Bath & Beyond, and there it is. Anybody ever had that happen? I'm like, I guess I'm going to buy it. You know, like, and you get weird, like those little tennis ball things that you put in your, they're like spiky, and you put them in your clothes, you know, in the dryer or whatever. But you wonder, does that product really work? Well, you know, Think about, think about what we do in faith uh, on a regular basis as Christians. We come to God in prayer. We open our Bibles. We come to church. We're reminded that you know, this life of faith and obedience, these normal means of grace, we call them, are what God uses to transform us by his spirit. Uh, let's pray and read and, and spend, spend time studying God's word and being reminded that, yeah, like faithful obedience, that is what God is calling us to, and that is what God is reminding us of you know, whenever we read his word, and especially when we come together, so that as we leave here, we go out those doors, we're like, oh yeah, faith, obedience, you know, walking by faith, not by sight, 
That is what I'm committed to as a believer. Uh, and one day, my faith will be sight. But until then, I'm, I'm following Jesus. So let's pray. Then I'll read uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 12, and we'll go to verse 18. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much again uh, that we can be together tonight. Thank you for cooler weather, and uh, thank you for uh, clear skies uh, this afternoon and this evening. I pray that this day uh, has been restful, but if it hasn't, I pray that we would come to you with whatever restlessness we have now, and uh, I pray that you'd minister to us, that you'd meet us where we are, but that you would not leave us where we are, that you'd change us. We pray for the reading of your word now, that you'd bless it, And as we study it together, God, I pray that you'd use it to prick our hearts, to do the surgery that we need, because we are all people in need of change. And you are the the giver of of, of all good gifts. Uh, You are the one, uh, Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Uh, And we all need to be made more like you. And that's only possible uh, by your spirit. But we know that because of Jesus uh, that we can... um, rest in in the work of redemption uh, that was accomplished by him and uh, the work of redemption now that's applied uh, by your spirit. So we lift up all these things to you in Jesus' name now. Amen. So Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12 and going to verse 18. This is God's word. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is good, oh, it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Y'all, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So Paul, he drops a, uh, a therefore uh, to, you know, right on top of us uh, in verse 12. And you know, you always hear that, what's the therefore? You've got to figure out what the therefore is there for, or whatever the thing is that people say. We've got to ask the question, what is this section hinging on? Y'all have not been in Philippians recently, I don't think. And the simple answer to that question, if you look back in your Bible, is you know, everything that's come before, this mind of Christ language has been used, uh, and the example and the power uh, that Jesus offers us, he's like, you know, as you are united in Christ, as you cultivate this mindset of Christ, Keep going. Uh, As kids, maybe you would remember from Finding Nemo what Dory would say, just keep swimming, right? Or as Walt Disney would say, keep moving forward. Or you may remember the King of Pop, Michael Jackson. He would say, keep on with the force. Don't stop. Don't stop till you get enough. Paul will remind us in this section of Philippians, faith and obedience are daily practices. And because we trust in a living God whose spirit dwells in us, we must continue to live out our faith daily. We must continue practicing obedience and growing in faith and holiness and trust in God who loves us and who wants us to thrive. We don't obey in order to get in, right? Jesus obeyed perfectly. We've been adopted into the family of God, and now we're learning how to be sons and daughters. 
My son, Johnny, by the way, met with our elders earlier uh, today uh, to become a communing member at Centerpoint, and I'm so excited. And isn't it so fun, moms and dads, to sit with your kid and have the elders, like, uh, interview them, and you're like, whoa, you know, like, you're doing such a good job. I was so proud of him. But Johnny, you know, they asked him, uh, you know, does your dad uh, love you because you obey? And he's like, no. It's like, why does he love you? Because he does, because he's my dad. Like, is he going to stop loving you when you disobey? No. Like, when we're adopted into God's family, we are in. Like, we are in, and, and we may disobey. And does God want us, girls and boys, does God want us to disobey? No, he doesn't. But he loves us, and we're in his family, and we're there to stay. And now we're learning how to be his sons and his daughters. So, if you've ever played a sport, you may know. What do you do? Like, you're on the team. What do you do for the game? You practice the fundamentals. That's how you ensure success in the game. And our outline is this. As we, as we think about this practice of faith, faithful obedience, we're going to see first that faith, faith follows through. We're going to see secondly that faith shines. And we're going to see lastly that faith rejoices. And we're just going to walk straight through the text. So verses 12 and 13, we're going to first see that faith follows through. Here in verse 12, Paul starts with a reminder He says, you know, therefore, cultivating the mind of Christ, beloved. This is, you know, the Greek word agape is in there. He's like, hey, y'all, I love you. I am proud of what y'all are doing. I'm proud of what I'm hearing as we write letters back and forth. It is so cool that after I left, beloved, you have kept on obeying. Keep it up. And what is the first thing that he says? He says, with fear and trembling, work out your salvation. Is he telling them, again, is he saying, you've got to work to save yourselves? I mean, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let's kind of break that apart. Let's deal with the fear and trembling. Then let's deal with with the work it out. If you were to look back at the Old Testament, you'd see the phrase, the fear of the Lord, all over the place. One of my favorite places to go to, to hear about the fear of the Lord is Proverbs 9.10, and it says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Y'all, we can't just assume when the Bible uses the word fear that it's talking about a monster in our you know, closet. That is a way you know, watered-down version of that, that word. The Bible would tell you fear is not just realization of the fact that something could cause you harm. It's, it's a... It's a a reverence, an awe, a respect. And this verse is telling us the, that you know, wisdom comes from understanding, the, the Proverbs verse, comes from understanding more and more who God is and letting our knowledge of him and our relationship with him more and more impact the way we live. The wise man knows God. The fool you know, says in his heart, uh, I think Psalm 11, there is no God. The fool is like the kid covering his eyes saying God doesn't exist and, and you know, reaching. Have you ever had a kid? You remember the, like, the kid will like cover their eyes and reach for something because when they cover their eyes, you're not there anymore. And they can get away with it, right? That's what the fool does. The wise man knows who God is, tries to, you know, through God's word, understand who God is and, and develops a relationship with God. That's the beginning of wisdom. This healthy fear. This actually knowing God and relating to him, this is the beginning of of wisdom. But if you think about it, what causes you to tremble? 
What causes you to shake in your boots? Well, you know what? Whatever it is, whoever that is, they all pale in comparison to the God of the universe. Fearing God is a healthy thing. So that's the fear and trembling piece. How about the working out our our salvation line? What's up with that, Paul? If you've read other letters from Paul, like Ephesians, you might be wondering, man, Paul talks about, uh, you know, how we are saved in Jesus and we don't work to be saved. Uh, Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now look back at our passage. How do these two things fit together? Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. And sorry, I'm jumping back and forth from New King James and the ESV, but hopefully that helps us uh, get these verses even better. But y'all, Paul's telling us, live out your salvation. Practice the faith that God works in you. You see, he's telling us it is God who works in you and that because he has done the work of salvation, you can now live and you should live out that faith in obedience to him. It makes me think of like a, um, what's it called? Uh, red carpet that just unrolls. You know, it's like God God is unrolling this red carpet and you can, you, you can walk on it. We're hitting on sanctification, something we talk about a lot in RUF, and I'm sure you all talk about a lot here. It's this huge thing throughout Scripture, this idea that faith is not meant to be kept stagnant. Justification uh, is an act of God on you. you. You take no part in it. Sanctification, though, is a work of God in you, and you do participate in that. Our faith is alive, y'all. It's got to be used like a muscle that requires movement and exercise or like a growing child who needs to be fed and taught and instructed and nurtured. And you say, do this, and then they obey. Or like a sport where you've got to learn and practice the fundamentals. And this point is called the follow-through. And you can think about, or faith follows through, you can think of a kicker practicing field goals, which I do think FSU's kicker needs to be doing when we're not playing games. He's struggling this season. Or you can think about tennis. I grew up playing tennis, and when you serve, you toss the ball, and then you, know, you make contact, but you don't stop there. I remember we would oftentimes start on the wall uh, before we actually serve. We'd throw up the ball, and then you would trap it over and over again so that you knew where to make contact at the right place. But then, you know, if you're learn, learning to play tennis, you, you throw the ball up, you make contact, and then you follow through. And your racket comes all the way down to your side. And it usually comes like across your body. But a lot of sports are like this. I, I contact the ball. I trust that the ball and the, the racket will make contact. And I don't stop at the point of contact. I follow through all the way down through the service motion. Because that ensures that I will hit the best serve possible. If you talk to anybody that knows tennis well... That's what you got to do. You can't stop there. And Paul is telling these Philippians, and he's telling you and me, that because faith is a living thing, because God works in you and me to will and work for his good pleasure, we've got to get up each day, and we've got to practice the thing we believe in. We've got to follow through. Working out your salvation is living it out, practicing it, and following through, walking by faith, and not by sight with what you believe. 
You don't know what the end of the day holds. You don't know what the end of the week holds. But you are, you are practicing uh, the follow-through of faith. You're practicing the fundamentals of faith. The half-brother of Jesus, James, says faith without works is dead. Faith does not stay dormant. It lives, it breathes, it shows. And so, I would ask you tonight, are you looking to God to work in you? That is what Christianity teaches. Are you praying for the mind of Christ? If the Christian is saying, change me, Lord, use me, well, get ready for him to do that. But it may surprise you how he answers your prayer. I always think of the John Newton poem that became a hymn, uh, I Asked the Lord, where he, he prays, uh, Lord, you know, give me grace, give me faith. And God answers his prayer by making Newton feel his need for him. But Paul is telling me, and he's telling you, and he's telling these Philippians, you've got to look to God. You've got to pray that he would work, and you've got to trust and rely on him you know, in that process. You are saved by the work of God in Christ, and that is going to lead you and me to live out our faith, to practice what we preach. We're not supposed to come in here and just fill our minds with things and then check a box and then you know, not practice those things outside. But man, I would tell you, social media makes that hard because we think we are accomplishing things when we get on and we like, like someone's photo or we post you know, an opinion. Uh, are we actually living, though? My question to you is, where do you see yourself failing to follow through, though? Do you think that your ability to not follow through and let your maybe yes be yes or your no be no could be a struggle of faith where you actually fear what certain people think more than you know and fear the Lord? I can definitely say that 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 has been a struggle for me. It definitely was in college. And it's something that I still struggle with today. A follow-up to that is how am I actually trusting God and believing his words more than the fears in your heart or the, the anger in your heart? Believing his words and, and trusting in them. How might that lead you to, to love, to grace, to mercy, to live a life that, 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 that flows with these things? I believe that as we live more in light of uh, what God teaches us in his word, that is going to lead Christians to being uh, some of the biggest agents for change uh, in the world. But it's not us looking at the world and and saying, you know, uh, the world tells me how to live. The world tells me what to do. No, we come back at the beginning of the week and we are reoriented in a way. Uh, with our family like this is your family boys and girls again you have moms and dads and brothers and sisters but when you come here on sunday you're coming and you're getting together with your church family and these these relationships we believe are going to be relationships that we're going to carry with us into eternity and we're going to be worshiping together and so maybe train your mind when we come together on the lord's day we worship and we rest and we get to see brothers and sisters in christ and, and we study God's word together, and then we say, all right, let's go out, and let's live the rest of the week. And Lord, by faith, fill us, sustain us, affirm us. So the follow-through of faith is the first thing uh, that Paul talks about. But, but also we see that faith shines in the darkness. Look at verse 14 uh, and verse 15. I remember learning a children's song about this. Um, let me look at it real fast. Uh, oh, it was do everything without complaining. 
Do everything without arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God. Songs are a great way to memorize scripture, by the way. But I remember learning that song. It's good for kids to learn because, man, when I was a kid, maybe none of you kids struggle with this, but, man, I was good at complaining and telling my mom and dad, oh, do we have to do that? But why do kids or adults, why do you and I grumble and complain? Because I don't believe this situation is, has gone or is going to go the way I want it to, right? I don't trust the powers that be. Or I know I could do a better job. Why don't you just let me be in charge and eat candy for dinner, right? Paul's reference to a crooked and twisted generation is a clear reference to another group of God followers from years before. Who were they? The Israelites, y'all. They were the chosen people of God. God was like, I choose you. I'm going to be faithful to you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to rescue you from literal slavery under a king named Pharaoh. God leads them through the desert and guess what they do? Complain, complain, complain. Are we there yet? Wasn't it better back in Egypt when we were slaves? Are we going to die here in the desert? Why did y'all put Moses in charge? This food is the worst. And so on and so on. And, and let me ask you this. What happens when we complain? When we give in to the complaints? When we feed the grumbling? You know what? We're more and more divided. We're less and less trusting of anybody else. We're more and more critical of other people. And we're more and more clinging to myself, my ideas, my wisdom, my truth. But what does Paul say? Hold fast to the word of life. Hold fast to God's word so that I may be proud of y'all on the day that Christ returns. Which the Bible teaches one day Jesus will come back and he will be the judge of the living and the dead. Paul is saying, y'all, on that day I want to look back and I want to see that y'all were shining bright. The sense of the, the wording in the Greek it seems to point to burning brightly and giving off light like a, like a star. Revealing the creation around it or you know, to bring it into modern times. You and I, as, as believers, we're like a light bulb and we're connected by wiring to the circuit breaker. And God, you know, his power is surging through us. The electricity is traveling through the wiring and bringing light in us and through us. And Paul is saying, don't flicker that switch on and off with your complaining, with your grumbling with your arguing, with your division. Seek the mind of Jesus together. Seek unity in Jesus together. Pursue growth and holiness together and watch the love and the light of Christ shine brighter and brighter in you and through you. So I want to us all, you know, grab your little metaphorical flashlight right now and turn it in on yourself. What do you and I grumble about? What's in your, I'm asking you to shine it into your heart, shine it into your mind. What, you know, what do you see? What does it reveal? What is God's word revealing right now in you? What do we grumble about? What do we complain about? What do we worry about? If the Christian life is faith and obedience, if it's following God's lead and submitting our lives to him, how do we struggle to entrust different aspects of our lives to him? You might, for example, look at your life and see how much time you devote to this or that with, with what you do or what you think about or what you say and go a little bit deeper and say, am I doing this out of faith and obedience to Jesus or am I doing this because I want to control that aspect of my life 
and I don't want to give it to God. How might, me, how might you and I let go of the death grip that we have on certain aspects of our lives, and let's just be honest with ourselves, and submit those things to Jesus? <clears throat> if Jesus is our example of perfect faith, you know, what did his life look like in terms of complaining? Y'all, that dude never complained. With perfect trust in the will of God, the plan of his Father, he lived in light of that. And Jesus, I mean, he lived a life like no person who has ever walked on earth. I love any time that Jesus is tested, any time that there's conflict or, you know, what does Jesus do? He just refers to scripture. I love when he goes out and is tempted by Satan in the wilderness and Jesus knew his Bible. And he's like, nope, 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 quoting the the Old Testament. And Paul just told us, seek to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus said that in chapter five, uh, verse 5 of this chapter. Y'all, we, but we know we're going to mess up. We know we're going to try to trust God. You know, five minutes after we walk out here, we're going to be playing on the grass, and I'm going to be like, I'm trying to do the thing that Pastor Kelly told me to do and walk by faith and be nice to other people, and then somebody's going to challenge me, or they're going to call me out, they're going to do different, you know, they're going to play a game differently than I wanted to play it. When that happens... What does it look like to cling to Jesus? What does it look like to rely on Jesus? What does it look like you know, uh, to maybe not grumble in that situation when things don't go the way you want? I'm showing the kids a lot of love tonight. I keep playing out my application with kids. So adults, I'll try to uh, talk to you all more. But kids, you all are awesome. If grumbling and complaining and twistedness and crookedness are aspects of dark living, what might living in the light look like? Just read, read the life of Jesus in the Gospels. It looks like patience. It looks like kindness. It looks like entering into difficult situations with God's truth and God's wisdom, right? Clinging to his word. Asking and granting forgiveness in light of the forgiveness that, that Christ secured with his life, death, and resurrection. That is what Paul is encouraging these, this, this early church, uh, these Philippian Christians to do and they're like is paul dead is he still out there this guy that founded this church we haven't seen him in so long and we're struggling man and he's like i've got encouragement for you keep on going keep shining keep clinging to the word keep obeying and this leads nicely into our last point paul is imprisoned he is likely chained to a guard and as i did research on this it sounds like he's pumped every time the guard would change out he's like one more guy to evangelize let's go you know, Bob leaves at six, Steve comes in after, and Paul's like, hey man, what's your story? You know, how long are you going to be here? How long do we have? But, but Paul is imprisoned. He is likely chained to a guard, a high official, not sure how long he's going to be alive. And what does he say to close out this section? Even if I'm going to be poured out like a drink offering upon the sacrifice, the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad. I rejoice with y'all. And you know what? You should rejoice with me too. Paul's saying that Christians can rejoice, should rejoice in the midst of suffering, in the midst of serving, as they hold fast the word of life. Paul's saying, I don't know what the rest of my life looks like. I don't know how long I have. But as my life is poured out, and y'all are pouring your lives out over there in Philippi, let's rejoice together. Let's rejoice in what God's done. By the way, this idea of being poured out as a drink offering 
Again, points us back to the Old Testament. It points us back to these priests in the Old Testament who poured out literal drink offerings on the ground or on top of another sacrifice that was on the altar. And Paul's saying, y'all were fellow priests. We share a common priesthood through faith in Christ, our mediator. This thing that we sometimes call the priesthood of all believers. We as Protestants don't believe we need a priest you know, uh, to, to you know, absolve us and to talk to God for us. No, in Christ, God is our Father. And we, sh- we access the Father through Jesus the Son. And no, we do not have to sacrifice anything to earn God's favor. But with joy flowing through us, we are able to live lives of service and sacrifice for God's kingdom. Bible teaches that, you know, uh, who made you God? Why did God make you in all things for his own glory? And, and what is your purpose? To glorify and enjoy him forever. And Paul's reminding these Christians, rejoice with me that Jesus is our Savior, that we are children of the Father, and that the Holy Spirit is at work to bring healing and hope to our weary hearts and lives. And, and, and you know... Speaking of being weary, let me make sure I didn't skip over something. Speaking of being weary, I want to speak of another uh, group that was weary and that was discouraged. Um, In Nehemiah, there was another group of people that had been living basically with, you know, metaphorical clouds overhead for quite some time. Imagine you forgot where you came from. You know, you maybe heard stories from grandparents of long ago, the good old days. But, you know, it hasn't been the good old days for quite some time. And in Nehemiah 8, uh, verses 8 to 12, it says this. They read from the book, from the law of God, clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they understood the words that were declared to them. They had not heard the words of the law read for quite some time. And you know, some of the older people were like, Oh yeah, we kind of remember this, and it hasn't been done for quite a while. But I, I love that it's like, this is not a time to weep. This is a time to rejoice because there's restoration happening. Y'all, you and I should never let our Bibles sit for very long on the shelves. We should come to church on Sundays. We should read this thing every day, and, and, and it should become more and more like the, the, the gold or the, you know, the honeycomb that it is called. I'm trying to do personal study in Psalm 119 because that's the longest chapter of the Bible. And you know what it's all about? The law and how awesome it is, how beautiful it is. May you and I grow in our appreciation for and just... Uh, desire for and love for God's law. But what if the words of Scripture are the words that you and I need to hear? What if our restless hearts will find rest as we daily give ourselves to studying these words? God speaking through human authors that wrote this book. What if committing ourselves to the awkward, sinful, broken yet beloved body of Christ represented right here in front of me 
is how we learn. You know, relating together, coming together, studying God's word together. What if that, this, this normal thing, these normal means of grace, this is how we're supposed to grow? Not, you know, not based upon momentary feelings or desires that come and go, but coming together, you know, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, or doing family worship at home. And so all this to say, the image that comes to my mind as, as Paul is closing out this section in these last couple verses is a toast, is it not? The image that comes to my mind is Paul is lifting his glass and he's saying, you know, if you think about a, a wedding or a, a rehearsal dinner, you, you get together and, and all these people that love the bride and the groom, they toast them, they celebrate them. You show love and honor to them. And Paul, with these Philippians, is saying, hey, y'all, we'll see how this thing goes. But as I'm poured out and as y'all are poured out over there, cheers. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So let me ask you, how are you and I toasting to the king and looking for opportunities to joyfully pour ourselves out and sacrifice for his kingdom? Maybe for you, an example, meeting your new neighbor with cookies and welcoming them to dinner in your home or welcoming them to church one week. Or maybe, you know, you're an extreme extrovert and you say yes way too much. Maybe it's saying no to an invitation to go on an optional work trip or do something fun with friends so that you can actually spend more intentional time with your spouse or your kids. Maybe it's finally doing that thing you've been avoiding and just asking Jesus, Please help me to walk by faith and do that thing. And this is where we'll land the plane, y'all. Paul is able to speak of his life as being poured out. Like he's, he's just before this, he's talking about like, I might die soon. And I think that brings such clarity to the way that Paul thinks. He's trying to cultivate this mind of Christ. And he's like, honestly, it'd be better for me to go away because I'd be with the Lord. But I guess with every day that I have left, I'm going to live it for the kingdom. But Paul is able to speak about his life being poured out because he's looking to God to fill him. He's relying on not himself. He's not relying on anybody. He's not relying on anything out in the world to guide him. He knows that those are all dead batteries out there. And he knows the electricity, the power, and the joy of the gospel is the only way. And this reminds me of Luke 22, when Jesus took a meal that his disciples, his closest friends, they knew well. And it was the Passover meal a meal that the Israelites had started uh, to take by faith. You know, looking back, uh, that God you know, provided for them uh, and that he would continue to provide for them in the future. It celebrated their deliverance from slavery in Egypt that we talked about earlier. But Jesus takes that meal and he says, this meal is my body. This cup is my blood that's poured out for you. And, you know, it's the new covenant in my blood. And y'all, Jesus was telling those men, Way back then, and still, you know, today, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, that he poured out his life so that there would be a new covenant, a new relationship secured, a new operating system that could be ours by faith in him, with joy beneath our circumstances, with light even in the deepest and darkest valleys, and with life that cannot be stolen away from us. Y'all, Jesus defeated death for us. So that our earthly deaths become nap time before a perfect life with him. And when a Christian takes this thing, you know, communion, which I know y'all celebrate here. We're drinking regular wine. We're eating regular bread by faith, but practicing a faithful obedience that I believe God is using to transform sinful and broken people 
like you and me, into faithful followers that he is drawing further up and further in with, with what one author calls a never-stopping, never-giving-up, always-and-forever love. hope that encourages you all tonight to faithful obedience. Let's pray, and then we'll sing our closing hymn. Lord, thank